buckle up. Things are going to get a little blue around here. Except that it ain't going to be blue. It's going to be a different color. Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. So this is the second half of me talking about uh, the GADSAD Amy Wax interview. Amy Wax is a law professor. Go, go listen to the previous episode to understand more. I want to throw in a clip here of Amy Wax. Unfortunately, she doesn't have her own podcast, but you can go. She She's interviewed in many podcasts. So if you want to go hear some crazy stuff, just look her up, Amy Wax. But so they're talking about, you know, when everyone at the universities is a bunch of woke pieces of crap, uh, why does she stay there when they want to get rid of her? And here's her answer. Tell, tell us. Why? Well, I have my reasons. I mean, <laughs> several reasons. I mean, first of all, they've been trying to fire me for years, uh, and they're still trying. Um, I wouldn't give them the satisfaction, right? I No, no, no. Um, the second is, you know, I'm just a shtetl girl. I come from a barely middle-class family, and for me to have worked so hard to be earning the money that I do and have the position that I have and things like library privileges, which sounds silly, but it means a lot to me. I am not going to give that up without a fight. And this is just nuts and bolts. You know, I've, I've worked too hard to get where I am. Why would I give it up? But the third reason I, I stay, even though I'm treated like a pariah, I mean, I, I'm just, you know, treated really badly. Let, let me just say that. But I have a high tolerance for pain. Um, is I am literally, and I am told this by my students, the only person left on my faculty that the students who are not with the Wolkateriot program uh, can talk to and go to for advice. They do not trust any other professors, even though they pretend to, right? And I don't blame them for that. I don't blame them for trying to get along with their professors and, you know, uh, go with the, uh, be, be nice to them and pretend that they are trustworthy. Um, they are terrified of their fellow students of the uh, lefty professors, and that's, you know, 98% of them, uh, of the uh, DIE establishment, this monstrosity, I mean, this hideous monstrosity, the diversity, inclusion, and equity bureaucracy, which that is filled with, with mediocrities, you know, people who don't care about truth-seeking, don't care about academic values, couldn't be scholars if their life depended on it, you know, are just kind of time-serving true believer bureaucrats. Right. Um, it's welfare for the, you know, for the barely educated upper middle class. Really, that is what DIE is, okay? But this, they're always looking for something to do. They're always looking for some crisis or some evidence of discrimination or racism or something. I mean, my case at Penn, my awfulness, the terrible things I've said, they're like pigs in shit. I am sure that they're having meeting after meeting. They drink tons of coffee. They might even bring some Danish in from a local emporium. I don't know. Uh, you know, what should we do about Amy Wax? They're busy. It keeps them busy. I mean, I, I don't know. So I, I feel like I would be abandoning my students the ones, you know, who take my conservative thought class, the ones who are not with the program. 
All right, let's throw in another clip from uh, Amy Wax here. Like I say, she just doesn't care. She's got the biggest balls. She will say whatever she thinks is true, she will say it. I guess a guy named Charles Murray, I mentioned him before. He wrote a book called The Bell Curve. I mean, she thinks very highly of him, but she also thinks he's a pussy. Which is insane if you know. If you know. If you know the situation, that's insanity. I mean, basically, he's the most controversial author on the planet for like 30 years. But anyways, okay, throw in a clip. Because they don't want to get down and dirty, and when it comes to race, they're terrified. All right? I mean, they just... One of, one of their real Achilles heels on racism, on structural racism, is they're not willing to say, you know, no, groups have different levels of ability, demonstrated ability, different competencies. That they, you know, you just don't say that. And, and even conservatives are afraid to say that and point to particular groups, particular data. I mean, sort of like Charles Murray does in Facing Reality, which I'm actually at the moment uh, reviewing, about to publish a review of. And he does get down and dirty, but then at the end, in his last chapter, he kind of pulls back. And he never says what I think he needs to say, which is, and now, given the realities of different rates of crime, different uh, average IQs, uh, people have to accept, without apology, that blacks are not going to be evenly distributed through all occupations. They're just not. And that's not a problem. That's not due to racism. That's due to these differences, which, although we don't completely understand them, we've tried for ages to change them, and we haven't succeeded. But, you know, who's willing to say that? So that's the kind of thing that gets you in trouble. But let me just say... She goes on to talk about how black people are not evenly distributed amongst the top, middle, and bottom third of her law school classes. And she mentions, mentions a guy named Sanders. I forget his first name. He's a UCLA guy. This all happened like 20 years ago before people learned their lesson about how to lie correctly. But back then, law schools used to publish all the data, just whatever. They'd tell you what men, women, blacks, whites, Asians, etc. They would just tell you everything. You know, what grades they got, they would tell you absolutely everything. And so he took that data and wrote a book, you know, saying basically the stuff that, you know, we're talking about here. And after that, like every law school in America said, okay, we're never ever going to tell anyone anything ever again about what our students do. And anyways, right, it's Orwellian, right? That's what you do. Anyways, and so they called her a liar. They're like, you're a liar. And she's like, well, let me see the data. And they're like, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't let a liar look at our data. And I've kind of said before, but as far as going to law school, whatever. If you can get into a fancy law school and you're just, you know, you're the dumbest kid in the entire school, that's actually fine for you. That's good. But affirmative action actually hurts people a whole bunch in undergrad, you know. Basically, it takes, you know, black kids who could have gone to a slightly less good school and gotten a degree in engineering because that's what they wanted to do their whole lives when you put them in a school that's too that's too competitive um then they have to switch over to a you know african-american studies major or something like that so you know you basically you can like listen to what she's talking about say that's true be like man that's I don't know. I guess you could, you know, you can Schadenfreude, right? Schadenfreude. You can take a little pleasure in other people's pain, or take some pleasure in knowing that those woke people are lying. And then, long story short, those woke people are not actually helping black people. They're making themselves feel good 
while not, uh, whatever, not truly helping black people. Because that's not what they care about. What they care about is thinking that they're a good person. It's just like Black Lives Matter where, uh, you know, they thought cops were killing black people when they weren't. And then they thought that a bunch of riots would be a good idea when they weren't. And then the result was result of that was 5,000 dead black people. Or sorry, an extra 5,000 black people murdered. And then like, you know, an anti-woke person like myself is like, oh, I'll say that. Hey, you shouldn't get 5,000 extra black people murdered. And they're like, what? That's racist. Yeah, it's just an interesting world we live in. I guess it's because women, they're just so full of emotion that they cause this stuff. I want to feel the emotion that I'm helping black people. I don't care about the truth that thousands of black people got murdered because of it. And then some dumbass man comes in there and is like, I want to stop 5,000 black people from getting murdered. I don't care about people's feelings. And they're like, up, oh, you're fired. And Gadsad brings up a thing that shows the total bankruptcy of the social sciences in the universities and academia like it's not science it's propaganda but anyways if you're looking at differences between let's say men and women and it turns out that you know it's some it's some good trait some trait that people want to be good at and it turns out that women are better at it than men then you know you go write a paper about it you crow from the rooftops that women are better than men at this one thing and if your study gets the opposite result, that men are better at it, well then you just, you don't write that paper, you throw uh, whatever it was you were writing, you delete that file, and you keep your mouth shut. You know, it's kind of like climate change. Now, I believe in climate change. I believe that climate change caused that individual tornado that killed all those people in Kentucky. That's all fine, whatever. But I don't think that climate change scientists are allowed to say whatever the heck they want. If you get a study that says, oh wait, it may not be climate change, you delete that file. And I'm talking yesterday. In fact, what people really do is they don't ask the questions. Like, huh, I don't know if the answer is going to be that women are better than men. I guess I just won't ask this question. Huh, I don't know if climate change is going to be responsible for this particular hurricane, I guess we'll just not ask that question. And it's understandable. I mean, you know, people got kids. You know, what's more important, speaking the truth or feeding your child? Or speaking the truth or your wife leaves you and your kid, who was going to go to Harvard, now comes from a broken home. So they go on and give some examples of people who basically, you know, academics who have to, you know, do they have, do they lie? I mean, I'm sure they lie. But anyways, examples of academics who had to not publish a paper because it was going against the narrative, which made me think about like, how many times do you have to tell the truth to make up for a lie? Like, you know, say you tell the truth a hundred times. Does that mean you can tell 50 lies and, you know, still be believed? Like, how many times do you have to say there's a wolf and then people show up and then that, you know, that one time that you cried wolf, well, that's okay. That's okay because usually when you say there's a wolf, there's a wolf. 
and basically like you know okay there is no answer to how many how much what you know what's the what's the ratio what's the maximum ratio that you can lie there is no answer to that but it's it's low you know like if you tell a lie one out of ten times uh you can't be trusted because you're choosing when to tell that lie you know like oh i tell the truth nine out of ten times but you know the time that you decide that oh this is this is the one out of ten times that i get to lie you're going to choose that time when it gives you the greatest advantage. It's not random. You're not like, oh, I just randomly lie. You're like, if I lie this time, I really get to F over my enemies. So this is the time I'm going to do it. And, you know, and that's, it goes for academia. This goes for, you know, the media. You know, like the New York Times, the, you know, the people who are in charge of the New York Times, they sleep like babies. Because they're like, oh, when we were talking about how to uh, cook a Thanksgiving thanksgiving turkey and not get it come out dry we told the truth and we would when we did an article on roadside attractions along i-5 in california we told the truth and we did a hundred of those articles so it's okay that we did 50 articles saying that lying that the cops are killing black people and causing 500 riots across america destroying Billions of black wealth causing thousands of black murders. I mean, you get the idea. They sleep like babies. So Gadsad asks Amy Wax if she's optimistic or pessimistic about the future. You know, are we going to, is the truth going to be important or is it just going to be a bunch of woke BS? And she says, let me tell you why I'm optimistic. Because of the internet. That basically people who are not college professors or in charge of I mean, you get the idea. Not powerful media people, not powerful academic people. The internet is letting just people speak the truth. And that is a good thing for optimism. Um, I think I'm getting about 400 listens a week right now. And I think you can cut that. You can always cut that. You should always cut that number in half because, you know, someone like clicked on it by accident and they weren't actually listening. So let's just say 200 there's 200 people listens. This does not mean 200 people at all, but you know, 200 200 of my podcasts have been listened by listened to by someone, and you know the answer is probably 10, 20, 30 people. And I I don't know. Am I special? I'm not that special, but at least I'm not. I don't have a job as a college professor, so you know I'm not able to uh, push a bunch of BS into young minds. I mean, I wish I could. I wish I could. I wish I could hang out with those uh, co-eds. Boy, they'd be looking up to me, wouldn't they? But in any case, I think it's not everyone, but there's a certain percentage of the people who want to hear the truth and can tell when they're listening to the truth. You know, they can tell the difference. Not everyone can. Boy, a lot of people can't. But uh, the internet does allow a lot of people to put out a lot of truthful content. So that is pretty cool. I mean, will that win the day? Uh, I don't know. I think voters, like voters know what the truth is. So unfortunately, all politicians, both sides of the politicians are absolute pieces of crap. But voters, you know, just your average, the general public, the general public, that's the only, basically that's it. The only people who know the truth in America is the entire general public, except for the wokesters and some weirdos on the right. And then she talks about what makes her pessimistic about stuff going forward. And so she has, like, conservative friends who are ultra-rich, went to Ivy League schools, don't agree with any of this woke BS, 
and yet they give tons of money to, you know, she's using Princeton as an example. So she's got friends. They give tons of money to Princeton. They don't agree with anything that they're teaching there, but she get, they give tons of money to Princeton. And that's because, you know, they got some grandkids, and they want their grandkids to get into Princeton. I know this is not exactly what she says, but, you know, basically the idea is if woke people cause crime to shoot through the frickin' roof and thousands of black people get murdered and... You know, entire neighborhoods, entire cities go to hell with crime. Uh, who care? Who cares? Like, you know, if your granddaughter went to Princeton, she's going to be all right. She's going to go live in a neighborhood that's safe. She's going to have a nice family. She's going to have a nice life. And, you know, and I agree. It's like, you know, what's more important, your one grandchild or America? And people are going to choose their grandkid. Or, you know, to put it more extreme... What's more important, your one grandkid or the truth? They will choose their grandkid every day. Or even more extreme, what's more important, your one grandkid or a whole bunch of black people that you would never ever interact with and wouldn't hang out in their neighborhood for one second? Uh, your one grandkid. And another thing that makes her pessimistic is she talks about the students she gets and she brings up uh, basically world famous thinkers that don't agree with the narrative. Patrick Moynihan report, uh, for one. Look it up if you care. It basically said that families need fathers. And it's it's actually quite a famous thing. Anyways, these kids have never heard of any of the things that, uh, whatever, would challenge the ideas that they uh, have been reading from the people that they've been reading. And I guess, like I already said it, but, you know, go along to get along to be rich, to live in a safe neighborhood. I mean, you'd be a fool <laughs> to do any of the stuff that she talks about or that I talk about. I mean, are you crazy? I mean, I'm sure, you know, the hottest chicks are woke as hell right now in college. Are you crazy? You just, you go along, you get along. You, you, you believe false things. You believe them until you believe them. And Amy Wax makes a good point. Like, things were different in the past. I mean, certainly after George Floyd, or sorry, before him, certainly before Trump, you know, maybe just before 2010, maybe before social media. But it's always been the case that, like, you know, if, if you, like a sociology department, right? Sociology is the thing that says, oh, this is what society should do. Sociology, society. And so I think, you know, for my entire lifetime, since the early 70s till today, the sociology department would be like, you know, 44 Democrats and one Republican or whatever. There'd be 44 liberals and one conservative or 107 liberals and zero conservatives. That's not necessarily, I mean, that's a problem, but it's not necessarily just a total um, do not pass go. Because basically in the past, even though people, you know, they had very strong feelings about political stuff, they didn't let it affect their um, academic work. So, you know, maybe you're a Democrat, but when you went and studied Republicans and Democrats, you didn't put your thumb on the scale or, you know, throw away any study that contradicted the narrative. Basically, you did your job. You know, you left your politics at home and you did your job. And so that's what's changed lately, like especially since George Floyd, anything to do with race, then, you know, you know, you put both thumbs and then your whole butt on the scale, anything to do with race. And then after 
Trump was elected, you, once again, both thumbs plus a plus an ass, plus, a, you know, maybe pick up something heavy to get on the scale. Anything to do with politics or, you know, right versus left. And I think previous to that, I mean, people have been, people have been putting, you know, maybe just one thumb, maybe just two thumbs, maybe only just throwing away one paper here and there. And they've been doing that for a while. And I guess, I don't know, just kind of, and then maybe social media or something. Something came in, probably social media, which made everyone get super aggressive about whatever position it is that they held. And uh, then it all got effed. No more truth for you, kid. And you don't even want to know the truth. If you want to, if you want to marry a hunky guy or a hot woman and live in a rich neighborhood in total safety, then don't even ask about the truth. And like I said previously, uh, Amy Wax is a medical doctor from Harvard Medical School. And according to her, the most woke part of, of everything, I mean, it's got to be sociology, but anyways, according to her, the most woke part of academia is doctors. She was saying that she has friends who are oncologists, you know, someone who studies uh, cancer, and then half the time, half of, half of their work is put into diversity stuff. So, you know, you spend a week working on helping black doctors, then you spend a week on curing cancer. Then you spend a week on, we need to have more female surgeons, then you spend a week curing cancer. And also, I guess medical schools, unlike the rest of uh, universities, medical schools don't have tenure. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, you can it's like a real job, right? Like, you know, if you're a doctor at some university's hospital, it's like, you know, it's more like you have a job as opposed to being a teacher, you know, or it's going to be a mixture at least. And you're going to make a ton of freaking money. So anyways, they don't give you tenure because you're rich enough, I guess. But it means in medical school, you better really keep your head down. You better, you better be talking about black this and female that. And so, you know... Basically, the question is, what's harder, curing cancer or making false accusations about how America is racist? And the answer is, I mean, you don't have to do any studying to do false accusations of racism. You can just, you just put your pen to your paper, boom. Whereas curing cancer requires, I mean, you know what it requires. It's, you know, it's one of the most difficult things in the, in the universe. So the doctors who are spending half their time on cancer and half their time on false accusations of racism, they're not necessarily, I mean, they're getting, first off, they're getting paid the same amount, right? You're getting paid $1,000 a day to do either one. One of them is super easy and you don't even have to put your mind to it. Just go, just go quote some false accusations from someone else. Boom, you're done. You can go have lunch. And then, you know, curing cancer is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, the thousand people before me barely cured any cancers. I'm just going to be one in a long line of that stuff. So what's the point? I guess, you know, doctors, they're not against, they're not against it. They're like, you'd think the doctors are like, I want to spend all my time curing cancer. They're like, no, I want to work nine to five. Just write down some false accusations of racism, you know, and go get drinks. And just imagine if you're an affirmative action doctor. So, you know, you're the bottom of your class. You probably think everyone else in the class is racist. 
you're not that good at doing, you know, lab stuff and curing cancer, and you like talking about how America's racist. So boom, I mean, you know, you're going to gravitate to that thing like nobody's business. And, you know, if you're a woman, now not all women are like this. A lot of women are like, they're getting married and having a family and they love their husband. But, uh, like, heaven forbid you're a lesbian, so you don't have kids and you got a lot of time on your hands. But you don't want to spend your time curing cancer. You want to start making, you know, you want to make false accusations of sexism. And it's easy. And you're getting paid 300 grand a year. And, you know, the hospital's not going to tell you to not dye your hair purple. I mean... It's a perfect job. Another interesting thing about men versus women in academia. I have a friend and he's on a board. And he's retired. But he's on a board. Basically, he helps um, an Ivy League school choose professors. Which professor are they going to hire? And so they're always looking for women. I mean, this is in engineering. So I think there are no black people to choose from. But there are some women. So they're always looking for women. And so the kind of funny thing about that is, you know, there'll be a woman that comes in, you know, she, she got her PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford. She did her research on artificial intelligence. She is like, you know, absolutely top dog, top notch in all ways. And so they'll hire a woman like that. And as soon as she gets her job, she's like, I want to look into sexism in computer science. I want to research how human beings and computers interact. Like basically, she wants to take it from studying things to studying people. Because men like things, women like people. And when a woman is a PhD candidate, she's not in control of what she wants to study. There's a professor above her. And so the professor is like, you got to do the hardcore, real deal engineering and computer science. And, you know, she probably doesn't tell the people who are hiring her that she actually wants to get the hell away from all the engineering and computer science. But then when she gets her job, you know, she does what she really wants. And then gets pregnant. And then takes a year off. And let me tell you, that school is overjoyed. All those things are absolutely 100% fine because it's so hard to find a woman. I mean, you know, if it was a black person, a black person could take 10 years off. They could work a year, take 10 years off. That would be fine. But women, you know, have as many kids as you want, work as little as you want, etc. I don't know. Life is not fair. Sometimes they talk about, let's see, where I, where I worked, I worked at a place, I don't know, a number of years back, and they came up with a law, and it was like, I think it was, it was, it was supposed to be to help moms who want to be able to take a day off because their kid was sick. So they said, everyone, every worker in the state can take off, I forget what it was, three days. They don't have to have any explanation, and they get paid for them three days a year. And when that happened, I was like, sweet. And let me tell you, you know, I would take those three days off. Usually I, would, I wouldn't use them for most of the year, and but it was getting towards the end of the year, and I was going to lose those three days because they didn't carry over. Oh, hell yeah, I took those three days. And I had no kid, no whatever. If I was sick, I went to work. I mean, why would you wake it? Why would you waste a day where you feel terrible on a day off? No, you go into work. Get everyone else sick. Screw them. So I absolutely understand wanting to work less. I mean, I've had I've done things where I work 70 hours a week. And uh, actually, that was my favorite job. I worked 70 hours a week because I loved it. But anyways, I definitely had other jobs 
where they're like forcing you to do overtime and whatnot. And I don't blame women for wanting to work less. I've wanted to work less many times. But this is the Anti-Woke Podcast, so I say a lot of politically incorrect stuff, rude stuff, stuff I may or may not even believe, or maybe I'm watering it down. Twitter handle, at Religion of Woke, and thanks for listening.